you for joining the Denver Podcast, the podcast that brings together public relations professionals and influencers. I'm your host, Vanessa Abron. Today's guest on the Denver Podcast is Josanta Gray. Josanta Gray is the founder and CEO of Grayscaled Media, a boutique brand management firm aimed at ordering, excuse me, aimed at offering colorful solutions to some of the world's most bleak branding problems. The company was created with the intention of providing indie brands in fashion and beauty with access to valuable knowledge to scale quickly. Previously, Josanta was the chief operating officer of Beauty Bakery Cosmetics brand. In this role, she established policies to promote a cohesive company vision and developed a comprehensive retail strategy that included launching and 350 more, excuse me, and launching in more than 350 Ulta stores. Prior to Beauty Bakery, Josanta worked as a licensing agent at creative artist agency, Global Brands Group. She was responsible for managing brands such as Gabby Douglas, Dea by Zendaya, California Baby, and Vanderpump Home. Josanta is also an internationally published writer with pieces that can be found on CBS, Access Hollywood, Our Weekly, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, I invite you to our conversation with Josanta Gray. Please note that these conversations were um, recorded pr um, prior, so you are taking a peek into a conversation that we had um, a little bit earlier toward the end of 2020. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How's married life? Ah, it is great. Apologies. I'm, I'm in my closet because otherwise, if I'm out in the room, my dogs might start barking. And so that's going to mess up your audio. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Tell me about the dogs. Such a dog lover. Yes, I have two fur babies, um, Jackson and Sebastian. One's like a small sheepoo and the other one's a husky lab. Um, as my, one of my really good friends. So my husband had given me Jackson, uh, for a Valentine's day gift. And we only had just started dating like six months. And so one of my friends was like, wait, so he got you a mouth to feed as a gift. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he locked it down pretty early. So <laughs> that's your um, first baby together. <laughs> yep. Our first baby. So we have two, I know everyone's like, Oh, how is it? And it's like, honestly, it's, it's only different in the sense of we both are wearing rings and like, there's the visible, visible representation of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise, you know, we've been living together, got the two dogs. It's yeah, it's about the same. <laughs> it's just now it's official and legal and on paper somewhere. Yep. Officially legal. Um, you know, he's already put the car insurance and stuff together to try to get it cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been all good. I can't complain. How, how are you doing? Has I'm, anxiety subside thanks to the election? I know everyone was kind of like on a roller coaster. Um, yes, actually. Um, well, I mean, there's other things in life that's giving me anxiety. So I guess that's always going to be there. But as far as that goes, yes and no. So as far as the election goes, like I'm happy and I actually just before I joined the call with you today, I just saw something that really made me laugh about how our president, our current president is, you know, of course, you know, he's trying to, you know, not debate Do everything he can to. Right. Which is not which was totally expected. 
And but the news came out that his lawyers had to basically tell a judge that they have no evidence and that they, too, don't believe that there's no reason to believe that the elections were a fraud. Like they had to go under oath and say, as his lawyers had to say, like, we we don't believe that it was a fraud, like his own lawyers. So I think that's very telling. I'm also wondering if like on, on, and on Inauguration Day, will we have to send Marines in to get him to get his stuff. Like, I really feel like that's, that might happen. Yeah. And here, I don't know where you're, by where you're at. Chicago. If they boarded in Chicago. If they boarded up, like in LA, they boarded up various businesses and like my yep. apartment complex downstairs, like it's still boarded up. So I'm like, are you guys leaving this until inaugurate? Like we're, we're through the election, but like still there's more craziness that can happen in January. So you're just going to leave this up till then. Is this kind of the vibe that we're going with? <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was downtown on, I was in downtown Chicago on Tuesday and everything was still boarded up as well. So yeah, not yeah. sure what that's going on. But even with Biden being elected, I still don't want us to get too comfortable of with course. what's going on. And that's the and that's the other thing that's giving me anxiety It's like, OK, Trump is out. But it's like we still have this issue with the police in our local, you know, in our local um, municipalities that needs to be addressed um, just because Trump is no longer in office that doesn't mean that these people that feel the way that they are, are going to go away, you know? So I do think that we need to still be proactive and, you know, poking him to say, okay, what are you going to do about this? And not Mm -hmm. just think that because Trump is out of office, things are going to be okay. Exactly. I had did an article for a client's publication, um, grind pretty. That was basically about like, look, Let's focus on because I, I had saw mixed reviews about when he announced Kamala, where it was just like people are undermining her success. Obviously, they don't like the fact that she was a prosecutor, but it was like, can we just focus on the positives that she would be the first black, like <laughs> all of the above as a vice president? And then once you, you get her in office, like then hold her accountable, hold her and Joe Biden accountable once we actually get them there. But all of like the, the naysayers that, that was happening uh, around the announcement, I was just like, please let this go. <laughs> This is not this is not the goal right now, but right. Exactly. And that's what that was my point too. to like some of my friends. Like I did have friends that were kind of like, I don't like either one of them. But you still have to vote because one of them is going to get elected regardless if -hmm. you participate or not. You know, like if you I was like, so you might as well pick somebody. So at least, you know, you like pick the person that you feel like you can at least, you know, what's what I want to influence that you can influence the most, you know, into your direction as opposed to not picking anyone. Then the hardest person that, you know, that can work in your favor is in office. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a thing. It's like, yes, it is a game of picking the lesser two evils. Um, Like you say, you can find fault in Biden and you can find fault in Kamala, but I feel more comfortable with them than I do with, you know, Mr. Cheeto. We we've seen what we've got for the four years, so no one should be comfortable with that. It's like, all right, let's just switch it up. We can't go. We can't get that much worse, can we? <laughs> right. And it was like and I came in when he got elected. I was like, you know what? I even gave him the benefit of that. I was like, maybe 
maybe he's going to like change, like maybe I'm going to give him the benefit. Like maybe he's going to change my mind. Maybe he is going to go in there and he's going to do, you know, he's going to just show me some things. Like I literally gave him the benefit of the doubt. And (laughs) yeah. And the thing is he actually did do some good things, but that's overshadowed because the stuff that you did is so bad that it just X's out any good that you did do. I don't care what good you did. The fact that you are publicly saying, you know, telling the good old boys to stand down and, you you know, and like not and saying black lives matter isn't a real thing. And like the fact that you can say that it erases anything good that you can possibly do. It really does. And uh, he's a bad boy. If he can bring my mom out to vote, my mom is 61 years old and has never voted until this election. And I remember being in fifth grade and it was Al Gore was Al Gore and Bush. I I think that was who, who. Yeah. Um, and the assignment was go home, talk to your parents, ask them who they're voting for and like fill out the little worksheet. I go home and I ask her all the questions and like, I'm, I'm a really good, like I'm into school. So like, I want to do great on this paper. So I'm like, who are you voting for? Like the teacher wants to know. And like, where do you stand? Her response was I'm voting for Jesus. Okay. And I'm like, but he's not on the ballot. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) And so that was my uh, first experience of understanding. Like she, she was that, uh, age group that just was like okay no if it's if, you know only god can help us at this point so yeah actually and i actually was so i had lost a lot of faith in this so the fact that biden won i had lost a lot of faith in this i mean i thought he i didn't know if he was going to win or not even though i voted for him i was on the fence on him winning because i felt like first of all like a president only serving four terms is rare um and I knew that we had the capability of doing it, but I just knew that I didn't know what the real colors of the people were that looked like that. I didn't know how apathetic we were going to be and I didn't know how aggressive they were going to be. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to cast my ballot and pray. So when it started coming out, I was like, what? I know we got back from Cabo on Saturday and then we went and voted on Sunday because my husband, he's Nigerian. So he got his citizenship maybe two years ago. So this was also his like first time being able to vote. It was like, man. Okay, let's get back on track because we can go down this rabbit hole forever. Thank you so (laughs) much for joining me for this podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Thank you, Josanta. So tell me about your company and what you do. And most importantly, like why you started it. So I started Grayscaled Media. Grayscaled will be two years old this upcoming February, really with the mission to work with minority-owned, women-owned, mainly Black-owned businesses in fashion and beauty and helping them navigate brand partnerships and retail operations. And this honestly came about because I was sitting there trying to figure out you know, what do I want to do next? I have had wonderful opportunities throughout my career. Previously, I was the chief operating officer of a cosmetics company. Before that, I worked as an agent at a talent agency here in Los Angeles. And I spent a lot of time building brands for other people, but I didn't necessarily have uh, my own table that I built, my own stamp of approval um, for a business. And so with the coaxing of my husband, who kind of was like, why are you looking at applying for other jobs? You can do... um, um, 
all of these things that you're applying for, you can do on your own under your own company. So I took the leap of faith and moved forward with Grayscale. It's really with the notion of remembering that I wish that I had someone with my experience to talk to um, maybe two or three years ago when I was going through a learning curve. Mm -hmm. And as an indie brand founder or a small business owner, when you're moving forward with new ventures or new opportunities, you don't know what type of landmines are ahead of you. And sometimes those landmines as a business owner can be very costly. And you may have decided, oh my God, Forever 21 or Sephora has reached out to me uh, to put their products in the stores. I've allotted this amount of money to produce the product to go in their stores. I've allotted this amount of money for the marketing uh, endeavors to go into the stores. But there are other costly mistakes that might happen that might not actually be your fault. And so my premise of starting Grayscale is really to arm my clients with some of my experiences of, hey, when you embark on this particular journey, watch out for these things because it can come back uh, and really hit you in your, in your bottom line. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to make a dollar. And you have both like large, medium, large, large, medium and small businesses, correct? Yes. So the businesses vary in size. I have clients who um, started their business in 2018 and really only have a staff of four. I have other clients who have started their businesses in 2013 and have close to a million followers on Instagram and are, are pretty established with their distribution channels. But there's still a need for my services because they have like a, a lean team for the things that they're doing. And you're primarily focused with African-American women in both beauty and fashion, correct? Why that segment, which I think is an important segment, but I want to get get it from your words. Uh, my clients refer to me as the Olivia Pope of beauty. So I really jump in and help fix things like that's that's my nature. I, I'm a fixer where I want to get in and identify what are uh, the potential dangers of you moving forward with a certain retail relationship? What are the certain uh, things that you should know to, before you move forward with doing maybe a brand partnership with a celebrity? And I just, I focus on that group because oftentimes we don't get to speak to other founders that look like us. Um, we'll idolize other brands that may be mainstream, but I may not have within reach another founder who's gone through this particular experience. And there's so many of us who are starting businesses. I think uh, the Small Business Association had reported that we're like the largest growing sector of entrepreneurs. So it just, it made sense for me to focus on my people and give back my experience and expertise. Because I remember when I was in that particular role, role working at the cosmetics company and having to navigate all of these just new processes. And it, it was fine. It was great. We, at that particular point, had uh, an investor who could help us if we made, you know, costly mistakes or quote unquote, ran out of money, but not everyone has that. And have you always been someone that was into fashion and beauty growing up as a kid? Or was this like a love that you developed as you got older? That's a great question. I uh, was always into, I would say, fashion at first uh, growing up. Like I loved dressing up. I loved taking photos growing up. But then uh, really, as I got older, I think the uh, emphasis in beauty trans transitioned because my beauty routine and my skincare routine were very, very basic uh, in the beginning. So it would be a simple 
foundation and maybe some uh, mascara. I didn't really get into doing like crazy colors on my eyelids. Now, as a form of wellness, sometimes I actually do just sit down on my makeup vanity and put on makeup, especially during these COVID times. Really? So how have you ever done like the eyelid with like the different colors and like, do you have the patience to do that? Because I know I personally, like I look at the videos of like, the Jeffree stars of the world doing these things. And I, I like looking at them do these things, but I personally know that I do not have the patience to have multicolored I, eyelids. I can't, I, I can attempt and I'll try to do various colors. It doesn't come out as great as the influencers or the Jackie Inas of the world. But for me, it's more about just having some time to unwind. Um, I started especially doing it before maybe going out for the evening or going on like a date night where I literally would sit there, take an hour and just take my time putting on my makeup and then have um, my Beyonce playlist going just as a form of, all right, this is, this is my happy space. And then when I leave my home in these doors, whatever happens, if you get a flat tire or you, you run into someone that's rude, they can't really affect my energy. Cause I've already done the thing to get me centered for the night. Ah, so I like how you said this. So you use beauty, your beauty process or your beauty makeup application as a form of meditation to allow you get centered oh I like that I don't think I've ever heard anyone quite put it that way but it's funny you say that because I was actually talking to a girlfriend of mine I'm not a very big makeup person my makeup is very simple and I like to keep it that way and I still will but she was but I I wear makeup only for like certain occasions like if I know I'm going to be on camera or you know, events, like you say, going out, dates, things of that nature. But it's very simple where it's like eyeliner, maybe some shadow, like not a lot of colors. And my friend was telling me like she was trying to encourage me to do it more because she was saying like it's, it's not about like just putting on makeup, but it's the process of doing it that will like just influence your energy. And so I was like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. Like. Because I'll, I'll think about it from the sense of like, oh, I'm just going to the grocery store. I don't really need to put on makeup for that. But she said it like just like when you just the putting on the eyeliner or the lip gloss or the lipstick or the bronzer or whatever it is that you put on, like it like just does something to you that just makes you it's not the makeup itself mm-hmm. that makes you glow. It's the process of having you having had done it that does something to your energy. Yes, I completely agree because also in a sense too, it lets you have a creative outlet. And because for my day to day, I spend a lot of time doing logistics and connecting various pieces. I don't get that time to just draw or have some form of of creative outlet. And so sometimes doing my makeup allows me where, you know, I might look up or see a, a, a look that someone has done online and I'll try to recreate it. And then It doesn't look like their version, but it works well on my face where it's enough where I'm confident to still go out of the house. (laughs) Right. That's all that matters. Just be comfortable going out of the house. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your clients, are there any projects that you're working on right now that are super cool that you're willing to share? Or is there like a past project that is like, oh, my gosh, this was like a highlight of my career or the what I wouldn't even say career of when you've had your business that you were just kind of like, this was, this is why I get up every day and do what I do. Mm-hmm. There's two that actually come to mind. So most recently, and I, I say this from a perspective of as 
not even just a business owner, but as a person that is a, a working professional, sometimes you second guess your skill set and you second guess your ability and, and whether or not you can deliver on the promises or the parameters that you've set forth with a partnership or someone that you're working with. So I had a brand new client um, by the name of Grind Pretty, and we had just started working together and the founder just needed some assistance with getting individuals for her cover uh, and getting celebrities to be the face of the magazine and also create like a corresponding box. And I absolutely love the mission of Grind Pretty because it really is promoting female entrepreneurs to grab a seat at the table, build their own tables if they can't grab a seat and taking their side hustle and making it a main hustle. So they're uh, afforded. Um, in the magazine, there's like different articles about how to file your LLC, different tax benefits. And so very early on with us working together, I was actually able to get Pretty V, one uh, influencer that kind of encompassed Grinding Pretty. She had uh, a deal with City Trends and all these various products. And, you know, people know her from wiling out and just like mm -hmm. being super funny online. And we were able to set up a partnership where you know, coming out the gate of me working with her, I was able to just set up that partnership very quickly and, and get Pretty V set up for a photo shoot. And so for me, I remember first starting to work with her where I'm like, ah, okay, like I'm gonna do this. Um, it's kind of, a, I, I've, I've done brand partnerships before, but um, I still wanna make sure that anyone that I bring on that I'm working with that I'm delivering. And it made me very happy and confident in myself that I was able to deliver in such a quick time frame. also. So we had started working together and by the end of the month, it was like, here, uh, here's our publicist, like, let, let's set this up. Uh, and then the other moment that comes to mind that's very career defining for Grayscales and what gave me the confidence to move forward and also think about different ways to position my business was maybe about four years, four or five years ago at a, a job that I had at the talent agency. Um, the clientele was not necessarily us. There weren't that many black clients on the roster. Um, I was tasked with doing a project that outlined like, what can we do in licensing for black people? Like what are the projects or things that we could go after? So I put together this huge exploration of, um, you know, there's multiple TV shows, you know, scandals on, and, you know, they did a licensing deal. Um, they're this kind of exploration of also like our culture in media and how that's portrayed and came up with just shows um, like, Oh, ASAP Rocky does all of these high end collaborations. So does Nicki Minaj. Like there are other collections or, or for what have you that you can build. Uh, and particularly in that presentation, I put in there that power it was at its like super prime, maybe second or third season at the time that they should do licensing deals and we should have something. Cause like this show every time an episode airs, like there was some viral moment with the show power uh, that was on stars and long story short, the department head actually said like, eh, this presentation, like, eh, it's, it's fine, but there's like really no money here. Like, I don't, I don't think we need to go down this road. So I'm sitting here like, are you I really gave you, I gave you a, like a, I gave you a very long case study of like examples in the market of things that are making money. And you're telling me like, eh, nah, forget about it. We're, we're not. Gonna do it. Um, so flash forward to me starting Grayscaled. I started working with a wonderful brand by the name of Colored Rain that's founded by Lorraine Dowdy. And Lorraine uh, uh, and I 
originally connected because I was reaching out to ask about a bit a different partnership, but she's so personable. We started talking about my story and the reason why I started Grayscales. And I told her about my experience in licensing and she was like, great. Obviously there's a reason God connected us because I was actually supposed to sign on the dotted line to do a licensing deal with power. It would be their first makeup collaboration the first actual licensing deal ever for the entirety of the show. They had never done one. So the first one was going to be in cosmetics. I'm supposed to sign on the dotted line of this contract tomorrow, but I'm going to wait and I'm going to forward this to you. So let's start working together. So that was a major moment where my gut told me there was something here for this show years ago. And I, for whatever reason, in that old job, never moved forward, didn't, you know, I was shot down by the department head and I took that rejection and went back to my desk, shoulders sunk over, did, you know, didn't move forward with it. But to see it come to fruition and come back to me, it really gave me the confidence of, okay, when you identify a white space, when you see something out there, go for it. Um, because like Olivia Pope, you know, her gut is always right. <laughs> you know what? I want to interject here because I totally understand your perspective. Before I, you know, for those who listen, I already have my own company, had it for about five years. And I work with different agencies as a freelancer from time to time. And I work directly with clients as well. But like during the time that I was not where I was an employee, that happened to me as well. You know, like you, you have like this great idea and you know, it's a great idea and they don't move forward on it. And I think that's a great thing. Right. And this is why I think that's great, because it's like it's our creativity. We're supposed to reap that benefit. So because they didn't because they didn't reap that benefit, it wasn't meant for them to reap the benefit. It was meant for you to reap the benefit of how great it is. And one of the things that I've noticed personally, too, is that as a as a consultant and um, a practitioner in this industry and I would talk to clients and I would give them direction and they won't take it. I'm like. I'm going to do it myself. Like, let me take my own advice. And then I end up being the one that reaps the benefits of it instead of them. And sometimes they do too. Like the ones that listen do, do know that I know what I'm talking about. Shout out to all the clients that listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> you honestly, you make a, a great point because as I've progressed with the company and doing various brand management consulting for brands, I have to sometimes reel myself in or check myself on hmm, maybe you shouldn't give that idea or share that idea with a client, especially as you said that they're, I'm thinking about one particular in mind that we're not officially working together, but we had talked about a number of different business structures for her and different ideas for her to uh, progress her brand. And I had mentioned, or I was thinking about mentioning a podcast or like an e-course. And I just kept those things to myself because at the end of the day, it was like, I actually should be doing that myself. Like I shouldn't give that, idea to you one you're not going to run with it anyway but two you're absolutely right it's something that I should reap the benefit of and I also want to elaborate on what you said too about like following your gut and following your intuition I had did a interview with someone else like this past weekend I, wait I can't even believe that that was a week ago felt like it was yesterday and that was and I told her like I believe that following your intuition should be your number one business strategy because I, I know Logic is important. Logic is very important. It shouldn't go out the window. 
But we are all born with this internal GPS system that tells us where to go, when to go, what to do, that oftentimes we ignore and probably have we've ignored it because it, it doesn't it's, it, it's, it's ahead of its time. And I had one person give me this example. And actually, I saw it happen in real life. And she says, like, your your intuition is like your GPS system. Like, let's say you put in an address to go somewhere. It's like, you know where this place is, but you, you're not sure how to get there from where you are currently. So mm-hmm. enter in the address and you're listening to the GPS telling you how to get to where you need to go. But then as you get closer to it and you're, now you're familiar with the area, the GPS tells you to turn left. And you're like, what? Why are you telling me to turn left? If I just keep straight, I will get there in, in like in a hot second. And a GPS is like, no, turn left. So we go, you don't know what you're talking about, GPS. I know where I'm going. I've been here before. I'm going to keep straight. But then you keep straight. And then you find yourself in the middle of some construction or mm-hmm. you know, the roads are blocked. There was an accident, you know, protests, whatever. So now because you did not turn left because your GPS told you, it's like, ah, now I know why it told me to turn left because it was trying to t- take me on a path to avoid this and yep. that actually literally happened to me i was actually driving <laughs> somewhere that i knew where i had to go and the gps kept telling me to take this other insane route and i'm like why are you telling me to do this like i know i'm gonna take this way and i got into the worst traffic in the world i'm so mad at myself that i didn't listen but that's what I, but that's what our intuition does it can see ahead of us so even though it doesn't make sense in the moment it's like you gotta you gotta do because then you're always mad you're always mad like ah. Oh, I should have did that. So yes, kudos to you for listening, being your own Olivia Pope. And, and you're right. Like that's what makes her great is that she listens to her intuition. It's often hard because it's like, am I missing out on money by not, by not doing this? Or, you know, maybe I should have did it. But then when it does happen, like let's, I did, I, my intuition told me to let go of a project because mm-hmm. it wasn't serving me. And I was scared to let it go because that's money. But as soon as I let it go, something came in that tripled what I was getting. Wow. Yep. And it's like you have to like let go of stuff so your plate can um, have room to receive. But also to exactly what you're saying about letting things go and things will triple. Also letting things go. You already kind of said this, but about it not serving you. But if there's any point of contention that's happening with that particular project or person. I think it's, it's good to identify, especially if you're your own business person, you're running your own company. Like there's no reason that you should have um, contentious relationships or feel like a certain thing. like, Oh, I got to call this person. Like, yes, certain things are money, but if it's not, if it's not serving you or you feel like a a certain level of dread working with a person, it's important to identify that as well. Yes, I agree. So you mentioned earlier about working with influencers. Tell me what's your relationship like working with influencers and is it fun, exciting? Is it kind of like not as what you expected it to be? Like, let's go down that rabbit hole. 
So I've worked with influencers on both sides. Um, one from the side of representation where I go out to the market seeking uh, opportunities and brand partnerships for them. And then I've worked on the opposite side where I work for the brand and the brand is looking to secure an influencer to promote whatever product launch collaboration that they want to do at the time. And I find that I prefer working on behalf of the brand. And that was just because you're in more of a position of power. When you're representing the influencers, you're constantly pitching like, oh, Nike, will you work with this person? Adidas, will you work with this per person? Fenty, can I, get, can I get some free products for this person? Uh, and you're not really in the position to say yes or no. The brand, on the other hand, knows what type of engagement that they're looking for. Um, they might internally have set up parameters that says, oh, we only want to work with people that have 100,000 followers or more. Uh, we're looking for someone to have a, three, a minimum 3% engagement rate or we only have a budget uh, this particular quarter to pay X amount to, to work with someone. Um, so they've set up all of the guidelines and like they hold the decision-making power. So for me, it's, it's better to work on that end because it just, it kind of got tiring of like hearing all the no's, which hearing a bunch of no's makes you have thicker skin and does make you stronger. But after a while, I was like, well, this isn't fun because I don't get to make the choices. So I, uh, that's why I loved working on, on behalf of the brands because we kind of get to, we get the creative process. We can set up the campaigns and, and move forward that way. Well, one thing that you mentioned that I thought was super cool too is that you work with Colored Rain and Lorraine. And I feel like that's both a brand and an influencer. Yes. At the same time. So tell me about like, having having one be both um honestly i can't say like i feel like people would expect me to say that there's like some ego involved with her absolutely not like she's such a girl's girl loves working with other black owned businesses and will openly promote that she's working with you know various companies on uh, her platform so for me like there it really is no difference like for me i'm always talking to lorraine the founder the 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 wonderful person who created these products specifically for people of color to make sure that we didn't look ashy with certain eyeshadows that didn't have um, too much talc in it. Like her products are highly pigmented to show up for us and it's by us. Um, so there's, there's really no difference between the two. It does create more opportunities because especially if you are, are listening and you're a, a founder that is growing your brand following, it's good to grow your founder story as people are no longer just buying products because it's vegan friendly, cruelty free. They're looking to buy into products either that are black owned or ones that are giving back to the community or a brand that has this particular mission and they want to hear that from the founder story. So it's great for founders to sometimes separate themselves for the brand, grow their Instagram um, pages and analytics, because that opens you up to other opportunities that maybe may not be right for um, the, the, the house brand. So if it's colored rain, um, maybe she doesn't want to do certain collaborations with a competitive brand, which really isn't, isn't in her nature because she's done collaborations with like makeup geek and other giveaways, but um, maybe her Lorraine as the person could do some influencer deal with, you know, another brand. That is so cool. That's interesting. I love Lorraine. I haven't met Lorraine, but like just the mild interaction that I've had with you and her, I I'm, I really enjoy, um, especially from my end of working in PR and brands and looking to connect with other brands and influencers in that realm. 
Um, question that I have for you, though, as we as we dive into this topic is having worked both with influencers and having worked on the brand side, knowing what you know about working on the brand side, what advice would you give to influencers about working better with brands? That is a great question. Um, I would say for influencers, especially if you have representation or somebody who's going to vet those calls on your behalf um, to make sure that person is well equipped about what you like for, for brand partnerships and what you don't like. And what I mean specifically, there are clients that I've worked with in the past who obviously have a particular rate. There, there's a rate that they have for their IG story. There's a rate that they have for their posts. But sometimes there are clients that I work with that in their nature, they're a girl's girl. They want to help out the underdog. And because that's part of their, their story as well, being an influencer, you know, rising from whatever level they were at to this particular stardom. Um, so sometimes it's not always very clear whether or not um, that influencer will adjust their rates, or maybe they'll do some type of unique type of partnership of, Hey, instead of doing this, maybe I'll do equity. And like, I'll be a long-term partner with you versus you paying X amount for, you know, these IG posts, because I, I believe in your brand and I want to see it grow. So I would just say for, for influencers that are reaching out to brands, you should be clear about kind of where uh, you're willing to blur the lines. If you truly do want to work with that brand. And what would you say for those who don't have representation? Same thing for if you don't. I only say if you have representation because it's, it's harder to it's a game of telephone because that person at the end of the day is probably just trying to get you the, you know, the most dollar for your particular work. But if you're on the phone directly with the brands, then be very clear about your intentions. If you truly do love uh, that particular brand, then let them know up front. Like you're willing to, and I speak also from the perspective of brands that don't have major budgets. Like, of course, if you're talking to Nike, get, get, get all your coin, get all that you're, <laughs> they have those unlimited budgets. But if you're talking about some of the smaller indie brands that are really just growing, um, sometimes they're not like at the end of the day, everyone should be compensated for their work. And I personally don't even like to be disrespect. Like if I'm bringing someone an opportunity where I need them to do for free, I'm like, please tell me like, Girl, girl, bye. No, like I don't want to offend anyone by not compensate, compensating them what they're worth. Um, but sometimes you as the influencer or whoever's in charge, you know what you're willing to tolerate and what you're willing to kind of like, you know, bend the rules for. Right. Cool. Hmm. It was a lot there that you just said, and I'm trying to figure out where do I want to go with next? Um, budgets. That's where I want to go with. So we talked about like, if you're working with like a large brand, get your coin. One thing that I noticed though, and this is going to be like a real candy conversation. I didn't plan to go here, but my gut is telling me let's go here. Is like, one thing that I know is like, is that you will have like this major brand, but then when they go into like working with brands that are associated with multicultural audiences people of color black women hispanic you know let's say black and brown to be specific and unless mm -hmm. we even narrow it down to say black i've noticed that those budgets aren't what they look like so i know i've personally have worked with some brands not all that are large in the grand scheme of the world 
But then when it comes to like, well, we're only going to invest this much in this multicultural endeavor or this multicultural look, that that budget is not as big as they would have for general market. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where I want to go with this question, but I do know I want to pick at this. Like, what are your thoughts on like managing expectations and like handling this? And I don't know. Just I said what I said. Go. Yeah, I'm fully aware that the general market campaigns may have a lot of zeros attached to it because they are probably done some metrics where they are proving their ROI to move forward. But for a campaign that's specifically targeted to a certain area, the budget's going to be less. Um, at the end of the day, I understand that that's the way of the world. I guess the interpretation maybe for the, if it's the major brand reaching out to the influencer, obviously, you know, that this is what the influencers expectation. Oh, it's a major brand. Like maybe they have a larger budget. Um, so maybe I would expect that larger brand to be somewhat upfront about what their budget parameters are to give that person the opportunity to say yes or no. Um, because at least for me, I weigh opportunities in a number of fashions. Like it's not always about the money. It can be about the brand awareness play because maybe you can't compensate me, but you're a larger brand. You have X amount of followers and I have this amount, or I've been looking to do um, a fashion collaboration and I like would do this for next to nothing. Cause I'm like super, super in love with it. So on the receiving end as the influencer, there's a number of, parameters that I'll gauge an opportunity against before completely saying um, yes or no, unless there's an absolute like conflict that's on the table. But as far as the major companies and their budget allocations, I would think that especially after um, this summer and the rise of Black Lives Matters and the rise of, if people are familiar, like the 15% challenge where um, it was a campaign that Ask for major retailers to give 15% of shelf space to black owned businesses. Uh, then you had the, the pull up challenge where it was asking all of the major companies to show their diversity stats and let us know how many on your staff are black. Don't just give us the percentages because we know you can finesse those <laughs> numbers to look a certain way. Um, I would assume after all of this public scrutiny that I would hope that there are some productive conversations internally about how you're doing budget allocations for these campaigns right and i and and having worked with both general market and multicultural campaigns i do you know like it 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 is a and i'm glad this summer happened it is a very it's like a thorn in my side because having being a black woman i do you know and working with these campaigns i do feel some sort of way about about seeing that but yet you know, not being in a position of power to be able to to push back on that and show the value. For example, like what you said earlier, you saw the value in working with power, you know, which is a predominantly multicultural cast. And yet they looked at that and was like, oh, there's no money here. And, and then you look, but then you look at appropriation. And it's like, well, if multicultural, if there's no money in multicultural um, marketing, then why is there so much appropriation? 
you know, like there's a lot of things that's being borrowed from our culture that's now, you know, being um, used in mainstream. And it kind of reminds me of like back in the day, like like I remember like watching the Temptations movie and like the Temptations was, you know, you know, getting big. And then like they had to get to the point where they couldn't put their picture on of who they were on the album cover or I don't know if that actually happened, but it was in the movie and they didn't want to put their picture on the album cover because people they didn't want people to know that they were black so they can cross over. Well, the Temptations didn't want to do that. It was the executives that were, mm-hmm. you know, pushing this like, oh, let's not show that you're black. And I'll be honest, like there have been moments in my branding where I had to be careful, like, am I coming off too black? You know, if I if I do this. So, yeah, I don't know where I want to take this conversation. I just know I, I want to have it. <laughs> I would say just piggybacking on some of the the points that you made beats Beats by Dre just dropped a campaign that was like, oh, you love black culture, but why don't you love us? And it was this beautiful, maybe it was like three or five minute spot that just showcased, look, this is our culture. And um, there are obviously many instances in this country, in the history of, of the country where that love is not given back to us. And what I really appreciated about uh, the video that they put together really was the fact that there was no appropriation Uh, imagery that was put in that spot because sometimes when we have this conversation and we're talking about why don't you love black culture that you you appropriate and you take our bamboo earrings you you do you you do our box braids and you call them other things and say that you know you were the creator of it but when we're asking these questions they're superimposed over images of like kim kardashian with cornrows or iggy azalea with um the bamboo earrings and so what i personally appreciated about kind of the video that they did in the forefront was the fact that those images weren't in it for they're giving them more shine like no I, I want you to see us in, in our entirety and I don't feel like I need to draw those conclusions for you to understand what I mean exactly maybe hmm, hopefully this conversation I'm hoping that we will keep having this conversation I guess the purpose of me having a conversation is to encourage people to keep having this conversation because maybe the conversations will eventually lead to some solutions you know, maybe there's some sort of multicultural initiative within the influencer market where, you know, like I would love it if, you know what, it would be so cool. I would love it if like some influencers or brands or no, I'll just say influencers for right now would be like, I'm not working with you unless I see that you have this level of multicultural, you know, investment in your company and mm-hmm. not just coming from the black and brown people, but white girls too and white boys too like I want you know like I we do need those allies I completely went off script here that was very intuitive no (laughs) hey honestly we the preach like we need it and I I think there are some influencers who have done that I don't know if I'm speaking accurately by saying I believe Beyonce did that when it came to her Ivy Park collaboration Mm -hmm. so she did she did she she did that with another campaign too. I think I saw something where she deliberately didn't she she deliberately didn't work with the brand because they their multicultural initiatives weren't up to par. So she mm-hmm. would not collaborate with. The, I can't remember what brand it is, but I remember she deliberately would not collaborate with them because of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, shout out to Beyonce. Shout out to uh, the Queen, <laughs> Mother. <laughs> So 
uh, as we wrap this up, tell me, like, so we are in a very relationship driven industry, whether it's about partnerships, whether it's about collaboration, whether it's about shelf space, like we're always, you know, trying to create relationships for a lot of different reasons. If someone wants to develop a relationship with you, what is the best way for them to develop that with you personally? I guess it just depends on their perspective. Like, are they coming to me as another founder? Are they coming to me as a potential intern or, or someone that just recently graduated from college? Kind of depends on uh, the journey or position they are in their life. But I think at the end of the day, the way that I always start building relationships with other people is by asking, like, what are ways that I can support you? We can talk about my story all day long and I can, I can rattle off my resume or the things that I've worked on. But at the end of the day, you don't really care about that. I want to know what, what are the ways that I can support you? Is that, you know, jumping on your podcast? Is it uh, you have a publication that you're looking for writers for, and I, I can contribute because finding out the ways that I can truly be there for you, whether it's monetary or something that's not monetary, something in, intangible, that that's the, biggest and deepest way that we can develop a bond to truly lift all tides and make sure that we all get to the success that we're we're striving for and being upfront about it right i think that's one thing i think we walk on eggshells about being upfront about what we want in this relationship or the relationship that we're seeking with the other person um like like you said i want to I want you to write for my publication. Just say, hey, I'm, I have this. I think you'll be great. This is why, you know, are you are you down? And I think we should be, I, I don't know why, why so many of us, no matter what color, gen, well, I think it's more of a female thing that we are afraid to say what we want in a relationship, <laughs> regardless I'll of say romantic or what. It only, that approach hasn't, it's only not worked for me once. There was an influencer that I follow and I, I use influencer lightly. She had just like some followers on Instagram, but I just found her very motivational. I won't say who it is, but I found her very motivational. I loved her, her posts and just the way that she was like, goes after it when it comes to building her business. And so I, I cold reached out to her and was like, look, you don't know me from the rest of your followers. I just, I just want to know you. I want to tell you more about myself. I want to learn about ways that I can support you. And maybe there's a relationship or collaboration that we can move forward with. And when I tell you, I don't know if she was having a bad day or it was just like, she was so dry on the phone, just kind of like, yeah, this is what I do. Uh, it was just not the persona that I see written <laughs> online. And it made me really sad. I called one of my friends like, this is why you shouldn't meet people that you admire. <laughs> you know what? You're not the first one to tell me this. So I had a client that I was working with and we were doing some influencer engagement. You know, I wouldn't say engagement, but we were, we'll say engagement for lack of better terms. So we were doing like some influencer engagements and I had, you know, and she was, she talked to this one influencer who of course, like you say, has all these followers, you know, has these beautiful pictures and videos and like the content or her pages were beautiful. But then when you actually talk to her, she was really, really dry. And I honestly think that we need to reevaluate the term influencer. Um, Cause I don't, I, and I've said this on other episodes, I don't think influencer is about followers um, per se. And you know, and I, I have a friend, her name is Taylor Barrington, and she she does a lot in this realm, too. And, you know, there's a difference between being an influencer and a content creator. And mm -hmm. 
you know, you can be one without the other and you can be both. And for me, an influencer is someone who can like really influence us. That person can only have 500 followers and have a significant influence in this world and on other people. And like, even though it's not like a lot of people, but those 500 people are like super dedicated to this person. But then you have someone who knows how to create pretty imagery, but that's it, you know, and that person probably was being, I say all that to say like that person probably was being authentically who they are, mm-hmm. you know, like they probably are a dry person in real life and they just figured out how to create beautiful imagery. Cause I'm going to say this, like, cause I'm a nerd myself. Like one thing about being a nerd and being like quiet and reserved and, you know, you can like, if you're a nerd like that and not to say that she's a nerd, but I'm just, you know, let's say that she's a nerd yeah. and quiet and, and socially awkward. It's like, you know how to like, okay, this is what works. If I do X plus Z, then equals Y. So all I have to do. So like now they're looking at the social media thing and influence the world as an equation, more so as a way of engaging with people, you know? True. You know, so she's probably like, she probably figured out X plus, X plus Y equals Z. And this is what I'm gonna do to get these results. And that's all she's doing is plugging in the equation. But even though all she's doing on her end is plugging in the equation, on the other end, we're going like, ah, oh, ooh, look the like ah. And she's like, I know what's this gonna make them, right. Yeah. I know what's gonna make them go ah and ooh. And that's all I'm doing. I had another interview with someone and she wouldn't give me this influencer's name too. But she said this one influencer became very popular as a food influencer, just knowing how to post like really, really good pictures of photos. I mean of food. She didn't take the photos herself. Mm. at all but she wow she would gain rights to them or whatever and she would just post these pictures of food and never didn't take name one of those pictures oh well then Uh, you i guess it's being mindful of uh, making sure you're not falling in love with the facade um and i I recognize now in retrospect of like okay most of the stuff like written word can mask whether or not you have a personality on, on a phone call, to be honest. Um, Cause there are, there are some people that you jump on a phone with and they just don't have a great phone presence. That doesn't mean that they're a terrible person or, you know, their work isn't great for whatever you might be talking about. They might be better with the written word. So captions and things of that nature, you, you read it in whatever voice that you've actually assigned to that particular influencer, maybe not what actually may be truthfully their own. Mm-hmm. That's what's funny about like the landscape now, because like even and I said this before, like back. Remember back in the day, like influencers came from the blogger space initially, like you had bloggers. But that that meant something because a blogger actually created like articles and content and you let them in in our lives. And it was but the blog wasn't necessarily meant to like this is going to be how I'm going to get partnerships, but it was just people using this online platform to have like these open journals, like these public Mm -hmm. journals. So then now that you have access to people sharing their public journals and it's like, oh, I identify with you. So now you have like these pseudo friends because we all are identifying with X, you know, X. And so now it's like, because I have this pseudo blog and people are identifying, it's like, oh, you have this following. And so then it's like, you know, brands were attracted to that. Then, then Instagram came. And so then bloggers saw that as a way to promote the blog. Okay. Let me promote these pictures. 
okay, for more information, go to my blog. But then people started to see like the pictures alone were influential. So it's like, I don't even need the blog. I can just post the pictures and engage people. Mm -hmm. And and that's how we got to where we are today. (laughs) That is the evolution. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything. Please let us know how we can support you, how we can follow you, what you got going on next. Give it to us all. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Josanta G. So my first name, uh, last initial G. And honestly, what's coming up next, I'm working on uh, a series of online courses that I'm actually shooting tomorrow. And it's going to be a school called From Gray to Green, because as a new founder, you are sometimes often in a very fuzzy gray area and you need someone to pull you into the green, pull you into the green pastures of understanding how to particularly maybe move through retail or to launch a, a certain product business. So the first course that I'm going to do is simply how to launch a product business. So it'll be an arsenal of tools of if you ever thought in the back of your mind, oh, I want to have my own skincare line. I want to have my own hair care line. Uh, it'll just equip you with some of the questions that you should ask your future manufacturer. It'll equip you with some of the contacts or suppliers that you, sh- you maybe should consider for creating your packaging. And just like a, a robust kit of like, you Shopify over this particular platform um, just to help, you know, start you out. Yay! Exciting. I can't wait to see that. Great. I'll let you know. Hopefully it should launch um, at the top of the year as I'm getting a lot of the videos and stuff done uh, right now. But that that's the next exciting project that I'm working on. Well, I wish you all the best of luck with that. And I will try my best to send as many people as possible um, over to you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great connecting with you and just having this chat and being honest about, you know, kind of the spaces that we work in. Yay. And are you visiting Chicago anytime soon? I don't know. I honestly, I went to Chicago three times over probably over the course of the pandemic, which probably wasn't good um, because I got my wedding dress uh, in Chicago. So I wanted my family in the event if they couldn't come because of COVID so they could actually see me. So I've already gone three times. So I don't know if I'll come back for the holidays, like need to chill out since, you know, outside isn't officially open. (laughs) Chill out. You're, you're chill out. I'll, I'll recommend you chill out three times. Yeah. You in, I think that was great that you figured out a way to incorporate your family into the festivities amidst everything that's going on and keeping it small. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. Forever a Rona bride now. But yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. It was so great chatting. Likewise. Bye. Hey, guys. So. That was such a great interview with Joe Sansa. I'm so glad that she joined us today. Um, she just recently just dropped her project from gray to green, which in short is an online platform that provides courses targeted at new entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, the inaugural course, How to Build a Product Business, will be followed by a How to Pitch a Retailer course. Um, And she's offering this to all of our listeners for a 15% discount. So connect with her at grayscalemedia.com to get your copy of this. And you can get your 15% off discount by mentioning, by entering, excuse me, not mentioning, by entering Demper as your promo code. So Demper, which is D-I-M-P-R-P. So go ahead, support Joe Sansa, and thank you for joining us again.
Thank you again for joining us for the Denver Podcast. We look forward to having you join us again every Wednesday. Also, stay tuned for the book, Public Relations for Influencers and Content Creators by Vanessa Abron, the host of the Denver Podcast.